In the time that it takes me to preach this message this morning, two people in America will take their lives. 71 will attempt to, and 428 will consider it. This year, there will be approximately 7% of the population will experience depression of one kind or another. It'll um, affect women at a ratio of about 2 to 1. The average age will be about 32. And it's going to be the leading cause of disability in America this year. As we come here today, a nation still in mourning, still in mourning for another hate crime. Another group of people have been um, targeted and need to be aware that the LGBTI community is a group that features far more predominantly in statistics of depression and of suicide. And we put that in context of everything that's going on and the realities of depression and uh, loneliness in our community as we come together this morning and as we seek to grow in the love of God and grow in the love of our neighbor. And this is a community as we want to mature in Christ-likeness. We need to be thinking about, well, what is it like to grow in a relationship? We've been talking about that from our last meeting in the last couple of weeks. What does it look like for us to grow in relationship? And in particular, we looked at what does it mean to bear one another's burdens? And I put it to us this morning that this is an area we need to be really mindful of. We need to grow in, we need to pray about. And the good news is that Scripture just isn't silent in this area. God speaks about this. This is there for us. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Psalm 42 and Psalm 43. And we're going to be listening in on the lament of a dear brother going through a dark night of the soul. I encourage you, if you've got the Bible with you, or you've got a Bible app, I do encourage you, bring it up on your screen or open to Psalm 42 and 3. We'll look at them together. They're separate, but I'd put to you that it was written as one psalm. We'll see by the repeating refrain there and repetition of much of the words. So Psalm 42 and 43. Let's listen in on the psalmist. The first thing I, I do want us to observe right from the outset as we, as we look at this passage, we'll see symptoms of depression. We see in verse 3, a tearfulness. Verse 3, an, an altered appetite. Verse 5, he's downcast. Verse 7, overwhelmed. Verse 9, feeling isolated and rejected. Verse 10, feeling physical pain. And verses 5 and 11 may even suggest anxiety in this turmoil. The symptoms commonly associated with depression here. I also want to note before we start out, there's a myth sometimes in some circles that depression doesn't happen in the church. I want to make very clear that it can and it does. And as we're going to see here, the psalmist is a person, I would say, of strong and mature faith. In fact, if we look at verse 4, we see that this psalmist, though he's lamenting, has actually been a worship leader in the church. He remembers in verse 4 how he used to lead the throngs and the festivals and in singing and praises. So it happens inside the church as well as it happens outside. And it's not a weakness of faith that causes it. 
As we look in and listen in, I want us to notice three things as we hear the lament of the psalmist. We're going to see that, firstly, the psalmist, he expresses his feelings. Secondly, we're going to see that he addresses his feelings. And thirdly, we'll see that he directs his feelings. So firstly, let's take a look at the first stanza. We're going to see that the psalmist, in his dark night of the soul, he expresses his feelings. I'm going to suggest in the first stanza, if we were to take a look at that, we might be able to sum it up and say, the psalmist is feeling dry. It's just like a, a deer pants for water, so pants my soul for you, O God. This isn't a beautiful little, like a deer, from a New Zealand point of view, I, I, I default to a, a deer running through a beautiful bush, and if he just keeps on going downhill, he's going to fl- find a flowing stream. And you've got to fight against that picture because it's not the one. This is drought. This is serious drought, and the deer is panting, heaving, thirsting desperately, and the psalmist is saying, I'm dry like that in my soul. I thirst like that animal in drought for God. He is dry, and what is he? There's, there's some tragic irony in his poetry. Though he thirsts for flowing water, feels like his, only, his, his food has been bitter tears. Instead of flowing water, bitter tears. I want to say, although he desires a soul to be poured into and refreshed, his soul is instead being poured out. I want to say, in the second stanza, if we continue on there, we might look and summarize overall and say, maybe the psalmist is drowning. Again, we can see tragic irony in his words coming through. The water language is again there, but this time, instead of, um, instead of being this nourishing water that refreshes, it overwhelms him. The deep here that's crying out, it's the same deep of the chaos of creation before God speaks his word of order into it. It's the same deep that overwhelmed Jonah, who was drowning and crying out, and this deep calling to deep. It's almost a picture of like a water spout coming down, and it's like the forces from below and the forces from above are joining in some terrifying handshake of creation conspiring against him. He's drowning and overwhelmed. Another bitter irony, he recognizes there that God is his rock, but in the turmoil, it also sees that this rock, the one that's his sure foundation, seems to have forgotten him. So he's drowning and overwhelmed. In the third stanza, as the psalmist is expressing his feelings, we might look and summarize by saying he's discouraged. In 43.1, he's being attacked. He's being lied to by deceitful people and treated unjustly. In verse 2, feeling rejected at the one time that he needs refuge, and he's feeling oppressed. The situation could bring anybody to a place of discouragement, couldn't it? The psalmist expresses his feelings, and we see that he's spiritually dry, drowning, and discouraged. wonder if this morning any of you can relate to that. Maybe it's bringing to mind someone dear to you, someone close, a family or a friend. I remember the privilege of sitting under a wise person 
this person used to, used to tell us. He would say, an impression without an expression leads to a depression. And he emphasized the importance to us of taking soul checks, checking in and asking, looking in, giving opportunity to express what is going on in our spirits. Could we take a look and spend regular time in silence, intuitive thinking, how am I doing? And are we expressing that? Because an impression without an expression can lead to a depression. He would say that that might come out in journaling, maybe a creative artistic endeavor. Maybe it comes out um, in a triads, a great opportunity to express. And one thing I really encourage us with, a great question when you're meeting with someone close to you and in your triads, just start off and ask, how's your soul today? And then listen. Listen in and give them a chance to express their feelings as the psalmist did. If we pan out a little bit and say, okay, we want to grow in relationships and what it means to bear one another's burdens and think about our front lines and where we are, I, I wonder if there's places where there are people who have actually had their ability to express themselves taken away. I think, I wonder sometimes just our judicial system sometimes silence the victims so they don't get a chance to express their pain and their hurt. Are there workplaces near us where there's such power imbalance and such injustice that there are people deemed voiceless who can't speak and express how they are? In our health system, do people have access to mental health facilities and care to express and to get help with their journey? I wonder, as as a church, as we grow in our knowledge of loving God and loving each other, bearing in others, each other's burdens, is this a role where we have to look for advocacy options, maybe on our front lines, to give voice to the voiceless for them to express where they're at? We see this morning that the psalmist, firstly, in his dark night of the soul, expresses his feelings. The second thing we see the psalmist do is He's going to address his feelings. We see there in verse 5 and verse 11, later in 43 as well, verse 9, he's going to ask, why? Why are you downcast, O my soul? There's many reasons, aren't there? There's a lot of us here named Chris. Just because we've got the same name Chris doesn't mean we've got the same story and experience. Depression, we can put it out as a word. It doesn't mean we've all got the same experience underneath that. It's helpful but we can't leave it there. There's many reasons why. Sometimes it can be biological, physiological. Other times circumstantial or a mix of both. The psalmist is looking in and asking and saying, why? I wonder if at this point, this is where we get to this feeling of we're struggling. Great opportunity to ask for help, encourage that. It's not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of using the strength around us to ask. As we look at, though, the psalmist, he addresses his own soul and his feelings. But I want us to note here that others are addressing him as well. And we need to be mindful of that. If you take a look, there's others saying, where is your God? And if we think about this, we live in a culture, there's those outside the faith who may look, maybe, maybe the perception they've got 
from voices within the church is it's a prosperity and wealth. And therefore, if, or maybe it's just their own God, is if we don't have prosperity and we don't have um, health, then maybe there is no God that's loving and is there with us. So when they see us maybe less than healthy and wealthy and seemingly doing well in the culture's eyes, they might ask, well, where is your God? How could there possibly even be a God who loves you looking at what you're going through? We can be addressed from outside the faith. We can also be addressed by our culture. And at times of depression and dark nights of the soul, our culture will offer us other gods. Might be offered retail therapy, comfort food, maybe a lover who will complete us. Also, sometimes that in our depression we're addressed by those within the church. One hopes that it's like Job's friends at the start. We hope the address would be just to come, to be alongside, to come to, to sit with, and to grieve with. We hope we might take the lead of God when Elijah in his dark night of the soul desiring to die And God meets him through his angels and deals with his physical needs first. Gives him bread and water before going on about the other areas. Sometimes we can be guilty in the church of fumbling responses, giving false platitudes that can ring hollow and empty and we jump straight to wanting to give truth as though we hadn't thought of that ourselves when we're struggling and wouldn't have just snapped out of it if we could. It's interesting, uh, Job's friends started out really well, but after a week, they kind of lost their patience with their grieving and solidarity, and they started asking questions. I think sometimes, you know, there's something wonderful and, and something that we ought to do in giving flowers, giving beautiful bright bunches, but when the petals wilt and fall off, will we still be there afterwards? You'll notice by the threefold, why are you downcast? There's a sense of a journey here. It's not a quick solution that's going to be solved. So as a community, we need to be there for the long haul as well, not like Job's friends drift into finger-pointing or hollow platitudes uh, in the meantime. Also, as the psalmist here, as he addresses his feelings, he's also being addressed by the voice of despair. There's times that we can wake up sometimes. I've Experience the wake up, and it's almost like there's a conversation already going on in my mind. There's this voice and this conversation telling me about what's going on, and sometimes I need to address that straight away and speak truth back into that. There's a voice of despair that's telling lies, calling me towards despair, which is not the voice of the God calling us to life, and a chance to, to stop and to pause and to, to address those feelings and to point it back to the God of hope. The psalmist expresses his feelings and he addresses his feelings. The third thing he does is that the psalmist directs his feelings. Well, notice there in the the first couple of stanzas, primarily it's been a relatively introspective thing. We might say the psalmist has looked inward and he's looked backwards in remembrance. And there's a turning point here where now, having addressed that, he then turns and he looks upwards and he looks forwards. And he addresses God and vocalizes his feelings in prayer.
towards this God of hope. I, I thought about this this morning, and this is repetition. It's, 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 it's hope in God, which is great. I mean, we, we know that's truth, and it, it, that's simple, and it is, and yet I thought if it's preaching that, it's almost like if I was in that moment, it, it almost sounds a little hollow or easy. And it's not, but it's almost like I know that. But yet here, here's how I feel. But I want to just note just a couple of things. And again, just to, to show that depression isn't a weak faith or that I'm a bad Christian. And I want to show a couple of things about this God of hope that the psalmist actually knows. Take a look in verse 2. It's, you notice it's the living God, a God who calls us to life in him. Verse 4, the God of the festivals. The God festivals remembering God acting in the past to save and to provide. This is a God of the festivals. Verse 5, the God of salvation. This is a God with the power to save. Verse 7, even in the despair and the overwhelming, he recognizes the sovereignty of God. They are your ways and your breakers that break over me. Even in his despair, he, he's prepared to look and to see God's sovereignty. Verse 8, the God of his life. God of covenant faithfulness. Verse 9, the rock. Verse 43, it's chapter 43, 1, the God who vindicates and delivers. 43, 2, the God who gives refuge. Verse 4, the God worthy of praise. The God who is our exceeding joy. And notice throughout as well at the end, you say, my God. A God who when others maybe don't see you or you feel they don't see we worship a God who sees us. He's able to say, you are my God, as well as our God. His theology is pretty sound. But there's one thing I want us to really hone in on. We take a look and we say, well, for the person struggling with depression, where is their hope? Put it to us that the hope is in the God who is present with us in it and will bring us out and through it. We take a look when the psalmist turns and he directs his feelings and vocalizes his feelings in prayer. Listen to this part of his prayer. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Send out your light and your truth. Lead me to your presence. And we see that as he looks and as he prays and he focuses on this God who will send forth light and truth and will indeed, from a place of exile where he is, lead him back into his presence. This conviction of the future brings about a new determination in his present. He's gone from inward and backward to upward and forward. And there's this renewed sense. We've got the same refrain coming three times. But as you read it and reflect on the rest of the day, notice how the emphasis seems to shift by the time you've read to the end of uh, Psalm 43. The emphasis seems to fall in the second stanza of that refrain. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. The psalmist prays, send forward your light and your truth. The psalmist can hope and that conviction of the future brings about a determination in the present. How much more can we hope? How much more in looking that God did indeed 
send forth his light and his truth to lead us into his presence. Jesus the light, Jesus the truth. Jesus the one who is the well of living water, the one who is the anchor when we're overwhelmed by the waves, the one who brings is our courage, fills us with courage and encourages us. God has poured out his Holy Spirit in our, into our hearts, his very presence, his comforter within us. And we can look forward. You know, I know as, as a friend, and I imagine for all of us, we, we fail at this sometimes in a love of one another and bearing each other's burdens. It's an area we need a gracious and merciful response and we need to apologize for the times where we do fall short in bearing one another's burdens in this area. But there is one that even when we feel forgotten, in our darkest nights, when it feels like our food, our bitter tears, when we need refreshment, there's one who can empathize and who doesn't forget. It's the one who was the light that entered into our darkness. We proclaim at Advent every year that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And he's the one that empathizes with us because he was described as a man of sorrow. He's the one who from the cross himself cried out, I thirst. He was the one who in the garden described his upcoming death as a, a baptism of sorrow. He's overwhelmed with sorrow. He can relate, he can empathize. Yeah, sometimes we're more accepting a physical pain when people suffer physically that we can see. They break a leg, we can see that we can put that. And sometimes physical pain, it can help us relate to the physical pain of the cross. But I wonder if in terms of the sorrow and our mental anguish and our depression, whether it doesn't bring us closer to our Savior in the Garden of Gethsemane, who had his own dark night of the soul and who can empathize with where we're at. And yet as we look and we see Christ dying on the cross, a victim of enemies and oppression, of rejection, of actually having the rejection and the turning away, the all of the ways of um, creation crashing on him metaphorically, the one who died for our sin and guilt and yet was vindicated in his resurrection, this God who comes down and incarnates into our brokenness, into the darkness, is also the one with the power to raise us out of it and gives us resurrection hope. He's also the one that one day will come back and in the mornings where we feel like our tears are our food, will wipe every tear from our eye. He's the one that when we feel discouraged by enemies, when the Lord returns, there will be peace. His reign will be complete. He's also the one that when he comes back, we'll see those still waters, the crystal seas, that image that's given in Revelation. Though we long for his presence now when we feel like he's distant, one day when he returns, we'll see him face to face. And so we enter into this story with the psalmist and we turn and we can look upwards, vocalize our prayers, and we can look forward to the hope that we have. And that hope of certainty in the future gives us new determination 
in the present. Jesus is our light and our truth that leads us into the presence of the Lord. Where is the hope for the person suffering depression, the dark night of the soul? It's in the hope of a God who is present with us and will also have the power to lift us out of it. Joe, as I was, I got up this morning and I walked through the Arboretum and was just praying. I was thinking about the time I suffered depression myself uh, deeply a couple of times in my life and I'm familiar and I think on those darkest nights that you actually know some of the stuff, you know that overarching story and yes, we need to live into it and communicate with, but there's still those mornings where you wake up and that hope of the future just doesn't seem near enough now. I was walking through the Arboretum and it reminded me of feeling the distance of family that we'd walked uh, through there. And uh, it was that distance, but then I looked and there, was, there were chipmunks and squirrels running past and I looked and it was like the kids loved those tangible little things. It was something different for them. I loved and I thought, actually they're walking, they're having walked on this path with me, having experienced those same things, what about a closeness? And it was a memory and a closeness. And when I thought about that, isn't that us? There are times where that great future hope seems distant, and yet waking up and knowing that Jesus walked these steps with us, shared these experiences with us, closes that gap and brings a nearness. And I want to say that in our faith tradition, we have a wonderful, wonderful thing to encourage us each week. It's the sacraments. Each week, we don't have one at the moment, we will have one in a, in a few weeks' time. There's a new baptismal font, will be in the back. I encourage you to how we feel like living into this story in our darkest moments. We ought to enter into that church and the baptismal font sits at the entrance and we can physically, tangibly take our hand, dip it into the water that reminds us that it is surely as we were baptized in Christ's death so surely are we joined in his resurrection and in tangibly feeling that baptism water, crossing ourselves and reflecting, we can remind ourselves that God is present with us, even in our darkest. And then we come, and later on we're going to come, and I encourage you when it comes to the Lord's table, that Christ has promised that we don't have to come strong. We don't have to come we come in our weakness, exactly as we are, as little as that might be. We come with humility, and God promises, Jesus says, even when our tears feel like our food, he says, he will nourish us with himself. He promises that where the bread is broken, he will meet us in it. And I encourage you, if, if the future hope of glory is still seeming too far away this morning, do you remember as you come forward that Christ promises to be present with you, will meet you in the breaking of the bread and communion? I also encourage you after that, he will meet you in communion with the community, with those of us who would like to bear your burdens with you and stand alongside. We have prayer ministers at the back every week. You say, like the psalmist, express your feelings. We can address our feelings. Then we want to direct our feelings upward and forward to the one who promises to be with us in them and who will have the power to draw us out of them. I pray this morning that all of us 
wherever we're at in that journey, could look and declare with the psalmist, hope in God, for we shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen.